Oh, snap! The world is finally waking up to the crap that's baked into and sprayed on kibble dog food. No longer can commercial pet food manufacturers fool us with pretty pictures and false promises. This is the raw dog food truth. The view and opinions expressed on this podcast are not intended to replace medical advice. Before starting any raw diet, do research, ask lots of questions, and consult your vet. Well, hello, Raw Feeders. I'm Dee Dee Mercer Moffat, the CEO of Raw Dog Food and Company, where your pet's health is our business and we're friends. Don't let friends feed kibble. Well, it is hump day, and that means it's Dr. Judy Jasek Day. Welcome from Tennessee. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Like I, I told you a few days ago, we got some, got our first chicks. So that's really exciting. We're moving into the chicken business and they're, they're just, they're just so darn cute. They're just so fun to watch them figure out life at, you know, just a couple days old, you know, they come, they ship them when they're a day old from the hatchery. And I guess they can go up to 72 hours without food right after they're, they're hatched. And then you get them eating and drinking right away. But then they just like, yeah, they just start eating and drinking. They just like know what to do They're They just get, get on with it. They eat and drink and packet stuff. And I don't know, they're just, they're just so much fun to watch. They're just little behaviors. And every day they're different and growing and changing. And yeah, it's, it's really fun. Okay. So these chicks are not to be eaten. They're to eat their, their eggs. Yeah, these are going to be these are going to be layers. We are going to we are going to move into um, getting some broilers. That'll be next. But it takes like sometimes four to five months for the hens to start laying. So we wanted to do the layers first so that, you know, we can get them get them growing and get, um, you know, get some eggs. And we're, we're also we're building this weekend. We're building a chicken tractor, which is basically like a mobile chicken coop that you can move around. So they'll be always out on like fresh grass, they'll be out on the ground, but, and you just keep moving it to different spots. And, you know, part of the reason for the tractors, it keeps them safe because chickens are just really vulnerable to predators. Like hawks will get them. And um, uh, my husband met a lady at the, he went to our local farmer's market here last week. And there's another lady just a few miles from us that also raises chickens. And she said she's had bobcats. So, um, so chickens just like, are really, really vulnerable to, to predators. So if you just leave them like out um, roaming around, you know, their chances of you losing some are, are pretty good. So this is sort of a way to keep them enclosed, keep them protected. They can, you know, stay out of the weather, but, but every day you move them to a new spot so they can still, you know, peck at the ground and eat bugs. And then like, we I want to put them like you start moving the tractor around where I want to have my bigger garden, you know, come fall, we'll probably start to do some more planting. It's too hot now to plant, but um, you, you put them out there and then they peck and poop and, and everything. And they fertilize your garden spot. So you don't have to like put a bunch of compost out there or anything. It just makes it ready to go. So you kind of let them do some of that work for you. So pretty cool. Um. I was going to ask you about that. Are those cats that are coming around to eat, are they sniffing around the little chicks? Well, we have the chicks in our basement. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, we we left them. We left them in the basement. We thought about it. Oh, should we leave them out in the shop or we could put them in the barn? But in the basement, it's just really easy to keep an eye on them. And the temperature is consistent from 
what I understand, like chicks need, like need to stay super warm. So we have like, it's like a, it's like a heating plate. They, um, traditionally people would use like heat lamps, but uh, you know, lots of houses and barns have burned down, you know, using heat lamps. You have to be really careful with those. So you can get a, it's a heating plate, basically. It's just a plate that, that warms up and, um, and it's on legs so they can get underneath it. So it's kind of like them being underneath the mother hen and then they can just go in and out. You can like raise one end a little bit bigger so that if they don't want quite as much heat, you know, so they can like snuggle under there. Um, but the, like the shop and stuff, like it was pretty warm here for a while and thought, well, does it get too hot in the shop? Like, I don't know, but at least our basement's a pretty consistent temperature and then they can get under the heat plate if, you know, if they need to. And it's like, I can check on them like 90 times a day. <laughs> yeah right (laughs) which is which is is fun it's easier to check on them when they're just like right here so yeah so they're in our basement but we do have we have a brooder that should be like predator proof like it's got lids that latch it's made out of wood we built that and and the lids latch so I don't think the cats could get in but you know we also don't want them terrorizing the chicks they'd be sitting up on top of it probably watching them all day you know so so uh so they're 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 well protected um, you know, uh, Becca had, uh, chicks mm-hmm. and one turned out to be a rooster mm-hmm. and I guess they can be female and then turn male or something along that line. But she lives in a neighborhood and he was getting up and crowing. Ah. And so she had to rehome him and yeah. she found a great home out on a farm. And uh, there's somebody that does this a lot, but you know, she, she raised him just like you from a, these little chicks. And so she was a little sad that she had to, to rehome the rooster, but she was like, my neighbors weren't too, you know, happy about getting yeah. woken up early in the mornings. Yeah. Well, if you want to keep your hands, you know, you got to keep, keep peace. Yeah. They, um, they like the hatchery we got them from does in the breeds that I got. So I mean, I did a lot of research. Like I didn't believe how many different chicken breeds there are like probably a couple hundred or something. It's kind of crazy. So I went with breeds that have like a proven history and, you know, or good layers and all, all of that stuff. And the hatchery we got them from, they do sex them. So I got breeds that they do sex. So these should be all hens and they say they're like, you know, 95% accurate, but it's, it's hard to tell on, you know, one day old chicks sometimes, but this hatchery, you know, they've been just doing this so long that, you know, they say their, their accuracy is really good, but we did get a surprise chick. So they said, you know, we will do, if you want a, a surprise chick, we're not going to tell you the breed and you won't know the sex. So it could be a rooster. <laughs> so we have a, we have a mystery chick. <laughs> so we may, we may uh, end up with a rooster, but I don't think the, I don't think the crowing will be, you know, a problem here. And I, I don't know, eventually we might move into like hatching our own eggs. I mean, you know, you can just let nature take its course, you know, I mean, hens lay eggs and um, it's just that if you're not going to, you don't, wouldn't always know like which ones would be fertile and which one not. So I think if you really want to raise your own chicks, it's best to keep you're like your hens that are gonna that you're that you're gonna use for breeding to raise chicks and keep them like kind of separate with the rooster and then the hens that the eggs that you want eaten 
keep them separate so that they're not getting fertilized. Otherwise, you kind of wouldn't know which ones, you know, like you don't want to be opening up eggs with chicks in them, or at least I don't. <laughs> that would ruin, oh. it would ruin breakfast. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, things happen like that. I was driving to the warehouse yesterday and two cars in front of me, I see the brake lights come on. Then I see something brown fly across the road. And I think it's like a piece of cardboard coming off someone's car. Mm. No, they hit a deer and it went flying across the road and it didn't kill it, but it evidently mm. broke its legs. And, you know, I, I did have my gun in the car and I thought I should stop and just put it out of its misery, but I don't really know the rules on that. So I was like, well, can't do that but it it may it just made me sick to my stomach you know it just really did mm -hmm. and uh seeing these little animals you know. yeah i know you, you know you know what happens i mean and it's you know it's just like i eat meat you know where it comes from you know animals die <laughs> to to feed us but you know i kind of go you know seeing them killed or something is still you know i don't know it's it's that's still hard yeah it is, it is very difficult, but you know, we may end up there at some point in life where we're going to have to kill our own food again, because they certainly are trying to still, uh, run our food supply. No doubt about that. So good for you getting the chicks. Yeah. Good yeah. for you. Yeah. And I'm, I'm actually very happy to learn. I've been investigating like, you know, um, farmers in, in the area. And I found there's another, there's a farm just like half hour away from us that does like a lot of grass fed meats and stuff. They raise chickens also and produce. So there's pretty good. Um, I mean, it seems like there's a pretty good interest for that sort of thing here. So that's good. Then, you know, the community is supporting it and, you know, if we got extra eggs and wanted to sell them, you know, we could, we could say, we see stands, there's a stand on the highway um, going to Dixon, which is where we go to do our shopping. And it's just, self-service eggs and produce, I guess, whatever they have to sell, they just put out there and people just stop by and leave their money. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of cool that it's an area that people still like would do that, you know, just, hey, just take your eggs and leave us your money. And, you know. Yeah. Very cool. I like it. Hey, you know what I don't like though? Uh, I don't like the article that uh, I sent you out of petfoodindustry.com. This this tells you um, how they try to move a narrative, Dr. Jasek. So here's the title of this blog. Concern trolling influences pet food trends and formulations. And so what this Tim Wall guy is saying in this article is he is saying, you know, um, there's feigned concern about um, certain topics and that, um, these trolls, and I think you and I would be considered a troll by Tim wall. Um, he says concern trolling distracts people, uh, by setting up scary paper tigers. And he, and he used this example. He said, fear of fluoride in public water mm. supplies, uh, provides an ideal example of concern trolling, right? Because um, the health problems presented by cavities and bone fractures far outweigh the dangers of fluoride. As we said, far mm. outweigh the danger 
of fluoride. And he goes on to say, he talks about um, um, the, the um, byproducts, right? He's saying, look, byproducts and scraps from uh, food preparation or damaged food produce, uh, he said, you know, we shouldn't be worried about that. And shame on us for for calling this these products um, to people's attention. You know, he's saying gluten-free pet foods are another example of human food trends entering the pet food industry by these trolls. And um, that, that, you know, we basically shouldn't be worried about all of these crappy ingredients. I find his use of that word interesting, like troll, I guess. So, so to me, that's that he's saying we're intentionally spreading misinformation because that's what I think of the troll. Like they're getting in there and they're intentionally spreading, you know, mis misinformation, um, but we're we're really spreading facts. Or if you even want to go back to the fluoride issue, I mean, it's proven that fluoride is very hard on, like your um, your your thyroid. It takes the place of iodine in your body and and can affect you know thyroid function. It has all this toxicity. So and and I don't believe it's ever been proven to actually stop cavities either. So you know, it's like, we're just presenting facts, but it's like, it's almost like just by calling this, calling us trolls just automatically discredits us. And then people don't want to listen to what we have to say. That's what it seems like to me. Oh, sure. And you're going to love this one. I'm sure you read this part. He said, similar to humans, there is a mandatory requirement for glucose in organs such as the brain and in uh, such as the brain in the dogs. And he's saying, look, uh, you can't take starch out because when it's not supplied, you know, it's going to utilize amino acids to synthesize glucose. Um, so he said, thus, carbohydrates are good for both dogs and cats and are necessary for survival. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And he, and and uh, he's saying uh, controlled experiments have provided evidence of how grain products affect dog and cat health. But some pet food marketers choose to ignore this data and spread false concerns in order to sell their products. So it, it's interesting that they're coming out with this. Obviously, we're making an impact in the industry. Or why would you write about it? Right, right. They, you know, you're kind of over the target when people start, you know, wanting to wanting to shut you down and stop the information that you're that you're putting out there. And and you know what? To to pet parents, because I know it gets it gets so confusing. People hear all this different information, and you know, they get on their you know Facebook groups, and good God, talk about trolls! They're probably those groups are probably full of trolls putting information out there. But, you know, but look at your pet. What, what is your, so just, just, you know, if you're, if you're wondering, is a raw diet good for my pet? Just give it a try for a couple of weeks. What, what do you have to lose by just trying it and see what you notice? Cause most people notice such a transformation in their dog, especially if they're transitioning from kibble or some 
they notice a transformation in just a couple of days. So just try it. Like, you know, people spend so much time researching, like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what direction to go. And they just get so paralyzed with all the information. And I get that it's confusing, but bottom line is you gotta, you gotta look at your pet and just, so just give it a try. What, what can happen by feeding your dog raw for a couple of weeks and just, you know, see what you notice and then make, make up your own mind. So I sent this article over to um, our entire team. Neely's response was this. Whoever wrote that is either full on stupid or full on evil. And she said, I can't believe that that kind of BS gets published. And then uh, Brian, he said, funny you sent this to me. I just got into a spirited debate with someone who posted about raw feeders stroking a fear of carbs. Now, that's interesting that hmm. in one of his groups that he would have had this conversation and then this article came out. He said, here is a little snippet from the person that he had the spirited debate with. And he said he wanted to get your take on it. He said, this is coming from the person who he was having a conversation with. She said, people panic that their dog will get cancer from the carbs and lose track of the bigger picture dealing with the disease their dog actually has. In these situations, inflammation can be reduced by using some carbs because we are supporting the disease. What does that mean? Because hmm? <laughs> that sounds to me, why, why would you want to support the disease? Right. Like, why would you want? Yeah. Carbs support the disease. Exactly. <laughs> so don't feed them. <laughs> that sounds that's 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 like bass backwards. That doesn't even make any sense. Right. Inflammation can be reduced by using some carbs because we are supporting the disease. So I really didn't I really didn't um, I really didn't get that. But Brian went on to say, look, I don't believe in criticizing someone for the choices that they think they have to make. But I can't sugarcoat uh, those folks and tell them that they're right. Kibble and carbs are not healthy and never will be. Will people feed them? Sure. I still eat at McDonald's. Difference is I don't ask what you can add to McDonald's to make it healthy. Right. Very good point. Right. So, and and the other thing is too, I do think that we are, possibly looking in the wrong direction if we're just looking at carbs, right? And not the other toxins that are going yeah. into the pet's body. So yeah. um, on a scale from one to 10, I would say, you know, carbs are at the bottom. We need to be looking at the top first. Um, but again, in a cancer situation, let's don't feed the cancer, shall we? Right, exactly. And there's also a big difference between, you know, I mean, kibble is just so God awful toxic. Like you're saying in so many ways, there's so many chemicals. I mean, I can't believe that people will harp on the sourcing of raw food and they don't pick apart the kibble. Like, you know, where every single one of those 60 or 80 or however many ingredients on that kibble label, you know, where each and every one of those come from, but they'll pick apart the sourcing of the raw or that the, the roll looks a little misshapen or, or something, but you've got all this crap in that kibble, you have no idea what you're giving your pet and, and most of it is toxic. And the carbs in there are even more of a problem because they're so 
highly processed. It's like giving your dog a, a bowl of fruit loops, you know? So, so if someone, I mean, I don't, I don't advocate feeding carbs, but if someone were like animately, no, I just got to feed some carbs. Well, then you'd be, it's, you'd be better off cook them a little quinoa and feed that with your raw or something. At least you're staying whole food and not that that's something I recommend, but there, there's a world of difference still between that and your processed toxic kibble diet. Well, and here, here's something else too. So I had a customer contact me this week because they had gone uh, away from raw and moved over to the farmer's dog, your favorite and Andy's favorite. And oh uh, that's like taken over the pet food mark. I swear 80% of people I talked to are feeding it anyway. <laughs> so what she said was the reason that she did it was because her dog wasn't losing weight now. Okay. So anyway, she, she moved over to uh, the farmer's dog thinking, all right, well, this will help. And she said, not only did it not help, she said, my dog ended up with consistent UTIs. She said, because it's so high in sugar and stuff like that. Um, whether that's the case or not, that was her thought, you know? Uh, but she said, so I'm, I'm just coming back to raw. And I said, well, great. And um, so anyway, thought that was interesting. Um, but yeah, you're right. Farmer's dog is really taking over uh, the marketplace a, a, because marketing works, Dr. Jacek. It works oh, yeah. on every level. You go to their website and you see the, first of all, anytime I go to a food website, because I always pull up ingredients. Like whenever I'm talking to a client, I pull up the ingredients of whatever they're feeding and you can't find them on farmer's dog. You have to like sign up for their program. And to me, that's, that's always a red flag when I have to hunt and search for the ingredients, you know, they have marketing and then you go to this page and it's more marketing, you go to another page, it's more marketing. And sometimes you can drill down enough. You find out well, what's actually in the food. You know, I, I immediately lose respect for a company that won't, that, that doesn't, is not just forthright with their ingredients. And why do they do that? Well, it's because the ingredients don't match the marketing. Hello. You know, if their, if their food was as great as their marketing says, why don't they just put the ingredients right out there? No farmer's dog has all the, you know, news channels. They've been on like good morning America and, you know, all you know, they've all that, Oh, we've been on, you know, major media. And so, well, they must be credible, right? It, it, it you know, they've been on the evening news now, come on, they, they must be good. You know, yeah. that's what, that's what, but that's what sells. It's like you said, it's all marketing, but marketing's expensive. So companies that are spending money marketing are not spending money on a good quality food. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, here's another thing that's amazing is a, um, a, uh, testimonial that we got from one of our avid listeners, Trenda. Trenda does not buy raw food from us, but she sent, she took the time, Dr. Jacek, to send this email and tell us about her experience. She wanted us to, to know how important this podcast is because she said she's an avid listener of the Raw Dog Food Truth podcast. And she said on July the 4th, she took um, two of her dogs on a hike. And she said as they were walking, her two-year-old standard poodle, Ladybug, went to splash in a puddle off the trail and she came out of the puddle and just froze and she said something was seriously wrong 
And um, she said she, you know, looked the dog over, but she said she was not herself. But they ended up having to carry her out of the trail uh, and they they raced home. And by the time they got home, her gums were bleeding. Her tongue was purple. Her body was extremely swollen. They went to the emergency vet and they found uh, a snake bite, what they thought was a snake mm. bite. And this dog was literally dying. Ladybug was dying. Um, and the vets uh, did determine, yes, it, been, it was indeed a snake bite. She had been bitten three times. Um, but anyway, uh, it was a rattlesnake, rattlesnake bites. Um, and they administered the anti-venom. And after two long nights, she said, ladybug is now home and doing very well considering her condition. And the vets were surprised and ecstatic that she walked out of the office. And she said, this is the reason I'm sharing this is because she says, I truly attribute her recovery to supporting her body up to this point. I believe she had a fighting chance because her body was able to focus when it was necessary. My family is always hounding me about the amount of money and time I spend on dog food. And she said, well, this is why. Even if you have healthy dog it, it, dogs, it still matters. She said mm -hmm. the information that you and Dr. Jasek and Andy and Neely all preach on the podcast has helped me become the raw feeder I am today. And it saved my dog's life. I cannot thank you enough. Keep fighting the good fight. That's awesome. Yeah. I just, I got, I got goosebumps the first time I read that and I just got goosebumps again. That's, that's really great. And it's, tr but it's, but it's true. And I, I love that because not too many people make that connection that, Yes, because stuff's going to happen. You can take your dog hiking. They could get bit by a snake, but, or, or you know, uh, bee stings or anything like that. But when you, when they, when you have a good, healthy foundation, their bodies are going to be better able to, to manage that. Even, even with my cancer patients. And, you know, it's, I tell you, this cancer is just getting so scary because I've been seeing more and more people in the last couple of weeks that, done a lot of things right. Like they've at least tried to minimize vaccines. Like maybe they just do rabies or some people just backed off. Like dog hasn't had a vaccine in years. Um, a lot of raw feeders and we're still getting cancer. But I tell people like, you know, we live in a toxic world and I do think that just the toxic stuff we're exposed to is a big contributing factor but I, I do tell them, and I do believe this, I said, but we are going to have a much better chance of helping these pets that have not been poisoned with vaccines and these other, you know, pharmaceutical preventatives and, and poor quality diets, we're still going to have a lot better chance of, of helping those pets than, you know, the pets that have just been poisoned month after month, year after year after year. So um, so, but good for her for making that connection because a lot of people don't, but I, I really, you know, do think it, it matters because that dog was knocking on death's door. And if she had not been in excellent health, she might not have even made it to the vet. I know. Isn't it crazy? And, oh, I, I don't know what town they live in, uh, but, oh, rattlesnakes, man, <laughs> that would be horrible, horrible. And I guess, I, I don't know about snakes but i mean can they just like hit you three times one snake hit you three times and and it's pumping in that venom every time 
Well, you know? I, I mean, I'm not a snake expert, but I would think each bite there would be less. I mean, they might bite multiple times, but I would think that, you know, most of the venom would probably go in on the, on the first bite, or maybe there was more than one snake too. Cause she never even saw the snakes. Did she? No, never she saw, just saw the, saw the snake bites when she got to, to the vet. So there might've been, you know, more than one snake too, Ugh. you know, but oh. yeah, that's scary. I remember one time I saw um, a case, this was years ago. I still had a Bellevue animal clinic and um, somebody came running their, their dog. They'd had him out at one of the dog, dog parks, like at Chatfield or something out there. And, and they said they're walking and the dog just all of a sudden dog was fine. Then just cried out and then wasn't walking on his leg and came in. You could literally see the little fang marks. Um, and this was, a, ended up being a much more minor case because it was on the leg and we were able to treat it and didn't have that big, like blow up reaction, but yeah, that venom is just so, so toxic. And they literally can just go and go into shock from it. However, we do not, we do not recommend the vaccine for snake venom. No. <laughs> what is that? What, how could you even do that? What is that? I have no idea. It doesn't even make any sense to me. It's like, it's just like, you know, they, they talk about, you know, a couple of the universities uh, continue to do research on a cancer vaccine. How can you vaccinate against cancer? Like, it doesn't even make any sense, you know, like, and just putting those two words together, like a vaccine to help treat cancer, like just doesn't goes, goes against my grain. But even if I think about it, like, intellectually it doesn't even make sense how you can do that and the same with the with the um with the rattlesnake vaccine because i guess the premise would be that the dog's going to build antibodies that would neutralize the toxin if they do get bit but i, I don't know i mean is is that i mean how much how much of that have they actually tested because my thing with vaccines like that is have they actually done good studies? And I think in most cases, the answer is no, it's just all theoretical. Like, yeah, let's let's do this thing that, you know, stimulates antibodies. I don't even know how they make those vaccines. They must give them like a really low dose of the toxin or something. I mean, who, know, who knows? I, I think it's just another way to sell vaccines. Personally. Well, you know, if you listen to uh, Robert Kennedy Jr., whatever side of the aisle you're on, the man deserves to be heard in regards to his knowledge on the testing, mm -hmm. the testing mm -hmm. of vaccines. But only listen if you are concerned about your life. I mean, yeah, seriously, right. if you're concerned about your health and your kid's health, then that's the reason that you would want to listen. But really, the the most important thing that he says is, I just want the childhood scheduled vaccines, okay, uh, to be tested like other drugs are tested for safety and efficacy. And he says, I've asked Dr. Fauci, mm -hmm. uh, you know, for the test. And Fauci was like, I don't, I, you know, let me get back to you. And he said, so they never got back to us. We sued them because they have no documentation because there have been no safety tests. Right. Now, right. Not, not a, not a, not a single one. I was just listening to an interview with him this morning and there's, there's not a, a single, and he, he also designates like pre-market test. He says they might do some testing 
afterwards, he said, after it's already on the market, but then that's too late. If you're damaging your kid's health, the safety test needs to be done before they start injecting it. And yeah, there are no true controlled placebo um, studies done pre, pre-market on any of the like, what is it like 72 vaccines they give kids? It's just, it's just awful. Well, and, and Dr. Jasek, if they're doing it on humans, do you think that they care more about pets than they do humans? Yeah, I think they're getting, I honestly, I think some of the, you know, uh, uptick in cancers that we're seeing, um, is there, they're just, I think, I think they're just, they just use the industry leftover pets. Oh, these vaccines, uh, we kind of, I don't know if we want to give these to people. I would just give them to pets. Who cares? I, I really think that's the attitude. I don't think they're checking any of this stuff and any of this new technology. I mean, if nothing else, if you're going to get your pet vaccinated, find out if it's, you know, some, some new vaccine technology, ask the vet, you know, like what, what they're using. Cause I would not use anything, any, any new vaccine, new and improved ultra, whatever. I mean, I see these ads come through. I know they're doing this because I see the ads come through from the pharmaceutical companies, new and improved and ultra this, and, you know, more of, you know, extra safe and more effective. Like don't, don't believe any of that garbage. Cause it's just, you know, industry propaganda. Yeah. Um, all right. So here's a question that we have from um, someone who says, I have a senior dog with, and I know I'm not going to say this right, proteinuria. Is that right? Yeah. Pr- proteinuria. Yeah. Yeah. Pr- proteinuria. Good. What would be the best recommendation as far as a diet? Uh, they don't want to necessarily restrict the protein, but they want to lessen the load on the kidneys. They're already eating a raw diet. The question that uh, we did ask, uh, those questions have not been answered as of yet, but um, the the question is what protein levels is your vet suggesting that your dog eat, right? And then is that a kibble dry level matter or is it a raw matter? Also, what are your pup's symptoms? Uh, and you know, uh, are you still is your vet still vaccinating your dog? Uh, so these are some of the questions that that we did pose. Uh, those have not been answered yet, but we will just move forward with this and ask what what would you do when you see this uh, this protein in the the is it the urine or the blood? It's in it's in the urine. So this is. That, you know, it's, it's one of the components that's measured when we do a urinalysis. So we do urinalysis, you're looking at things like pH, is there blood in the urine? Um, uh, I think it's usually look for bilirubin and um, protein is another thing. Glucose is another thing that's looked at. And then the urine is also spun down and we look at cells. So you'll also see, are there red blood cells? Are there um, white blood cells. There's a lot of white blood cells that is indicative of an infection because there shouldn't be, urine should be pretty sterile. There shouldn't be a lot of white, white blood cells in there. And then we look for crystals and other things like that. So, you know, first of all, I'd want to make sure there's no other abnormalities or anything indicating a possible infection, because if there's, you know, infection, we have extra bacteria and you clear that up, that might take care 
of the protein. Um, I would of course ask what we always ask, what else is the pet on? What other supplements is it on any other, um, un unhealthy supplements that we might want to eliminate? Um, and I always check blood work too, because I want to make sure that the kidney function is good because if we do have a decrease in kidney function, sometimes you can give up where the kidneys are losing protein. They're not retaining the protein because the kidneys are not functioning properly. So if I see normal blood work, which looks like the kidneys are functioning properly and we have this protein in the air and then I, you know, look at the rest of the routine, like you said, even, you know, vaccines, vaccines can, you know, I, I think they can affect function anywhere in the body. And I always recommend a raw diet. I, I would make sure the raw is, you know, well-balanced because as we all know, raw diets are not all created equal and make sure that there's, you know, um, you know, correct proportions, a, a good, a good mineral balance. I see a lot of people that, especially people trying to kind of do their own thing. They don't have enough mineral in the diet. They're, they're not supplementing. They'll do like meat and veggies and like they're, they understand they need to do something different. They don't want to feed kibble, but, um, lack of mineral content and, you know, minerals are just super important for the health of all of the organs in the body. And that's why raw blends have bone in them. But a lot of times when people are trying to do things on their own, unless they have a grinder or they understand they need to feed poultry bones or something, um, a lot of times that uh, component is missing. So making sure that it's um, properly proportioned, rotating proteins, all of the things that, that we recommend and then correct all of that. And sometimes you just find something that's an, an issue. Um, I, I would, I see no reason to take them off of a raw diet or really even change. I mean, I don't, I, you know, a, a appropriately balanced raw diet, in my opinion, is not too high in protein because it has the moisture content, the proper moisture content. And, um, I lost my tree. It's species appropriate. <laughs> There's another thing I was going to say. Um, it's species appropriate. So it's appropriate protein as opposed to your kibble diets, like your kidney diets, they restrict the protein, but it, a, it's a lot of them are dry foods and it's not a species appropriate protein to, um, to begin with. And so, cause it's, cause they come from grains, the corn and wheat, and that's where they get their protein from. So you've got to get them off of that and make sure there's no other sources of those types of proteins like treats and, and, uh, and things like that. And I have had some cases that'll show this low protein, um, seems to are increased protein, but at a low level, I guess what I was trying to say is usually a scale. It's like a one to four. So if it's like a one plus two plus and everything else checks out, we've corrected the diet and the dog's feeling good. You know, are they acting good energy? That's times I've just continued to monitor it, but I've seen that more in male dogs, like intact male dogs. I've actually heard that, um, as for intact dogs, um, because you can get some sperm in the, in the urine, mm. um, that that will sometimes raise the protein level a little bit. So if everything checks out, um, I, in, you know, dogs urinating normally and all that, I'll usually just continue to monitor it. Cause I, I kind of feel that way about most, if I always, if I see there's like one lab value that's off, but everything else checks out and the dog's doing great. Like, yeah, let's just keep an eye on it because, you know, lab values are not, you know, a hundred percent. And 
this is like a dipstick test, usually this protein. So could it be cross-reacting with something else in the urine? So, so I do make sure that we've investigated everything and, and made sure that the dog is healthy and in other ways and isn't showing any symptoms is on a good quality diet. And then I usually continue to, you know, to, to monitor it and maybe, you know, maybe check blood work every few months just to make sure nothing's changing. But I, sometimes um, I think that's something we don't need to get, you know, super excited about, um, if, if everything else checks out. Okay. Good. Good. Well, we'll make sure that she hears this podcast. And if you want to work with Dr. Judy Jasek, you can, even though she's in Tennessee, all you've got to do is zoom with her. She can look at, uh, records. She can answer any of these type of questions, uh, you just go over to her site, ahavet.com, ahavet.com. You can get signed up. She can review records. She can give you recommendations, uh, a second opinion. I always think that that is an extremely uh, good first step for you, especially if you are a raw feeder and your vet is not. Okay. If you're a raw feeder, you're going down more of a holistic path, but your vet is on the traditional path. There's going to be some conflicting information. There just is, Dr. Jasek. I mean, to say the least. To say the least. And, you know, pretty much um, our our team, um, at least here, uh, that answers on the customer service lines, it's like, well, what does your vet want you to do? You know, it's, it's, um, we, we've, it's very difficult when people come to us and say, well, my vet says this, um, so what do you recommend? And we pretty much send them back to the vet and say, Mm -hmm. well, why don't you ask your, your vet what they recommend? Because if you're going to kind of play us against one another, it's just a waste of time and it's frustrating. It's right. very frustrating. Exactly. People have to, I think, so sometimes decide what what path do you want to take? Because sometimes, you know, you can combine some things, but then sometimes you just you got you gotta go, you gotta go one way or another. You you can't, you know, you, you can't do both. You can't kind of try to treat your dog more naturally, but not not be supporting them nutritionally. And you know, it just it just doesn't work. Right. Yeah, you you kind of got to get all the way in. And I get it that a lot of people, you know, still want to go in for their yearly exams. Um, I personally can, you know, just take a look at my dog <laughs> and say, you're doing great. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, do the blood work and, and take a look at the blood work. Uh, you know, every now and then I'll stick a pee strip underneath there and see if their pH is good. But Primarily, you can look at your dog and see if they're doing okay. And uh, other than that, I I think, you know, I just, I don't do anything else, Dr. Jasek. I mean, I just, I don't ever, I don't go, I don't go to the doctor myself. I just don't. No, I don't. I don't either. I mean, I don't really need a checkup, do I? I mean, I think I'm fine. You'd know, you'd know if you were sick, right? It's it's a little trickier with pets because they can't tell us everything that that they're feeling. But you know, people are pretty tuned in to to their pets. I mean, I think they would know if if something is off. And you know, I mean, it's 
it's gotten pretty sad that, you know, if your pet's sick and you go into the vet, a lot of times they end up getting worse because at the very least they're going to put them on drugs. Like, you know, you say, oh, my pet's not feeling good. Well, they're probably going to send them home on, you know, Serenia, which is an anti-emetic. It's just handed, it stops them from vomiting. That's just handed out like candy along with antibiotics, you know, oh, just give them some Serenia and some metronidazole and see if that, you know, that fixes things where in fact, in a lot of cases, even if the dog's a little off, probably in a day or two, the body would have straightened things out and would have been just fine. So now they've been poisoned with additional drugs or they start, they do a bunch of testing, you know, and, and so the dog's off feeling a little off and they find like one or two values off like liver enzymes. This is another thing that drives me crazy. Sometimes dogs are a little off liver enzymes up a little bit. Well, maybe they got exposed to something. They sniffed up some glyphosate or who knows, dogs get into things. The liver's busy processing that you're going to see some elevated liver enzymes. And all of a sudden the vets want to schedule them for a liver biopsy or something like, no, let's not, we don't need to go down, you know, that road. Let's just, let's do a little extra support for the liver and continue to monitor those enzymes and see if this gets better, because they will go up and down naturally. The liver is a dynamic organ. When it's working hard to process stuff, those enzymes tend to go up. You give some detox support, help the liver do its job better. And a lot of times those enzymes just, just come right back down. But, you know, it's like they, they keep looking and pushing hard enough until they do find something that's, that they consider quote unquote abnormal. And then they have, you know, something, something to treat. Cause remember your conventional vet treats a diagnosis. They, they really don't treat your pet. They're not looking at your pet from a holistic perspective. They're looking at that number on the blood test or, you know, um, something that shows up on the imaging. And then they put that together into, and then once they have a diagnosis, there's a standard of care algorithm for what the treatment is for that. And that's really what's going on in your conventional vet's head. They're not looking at your patient. How is your, how is your pet doing? Do they, do they, you know, are they happy to, to see you at the end of the day? Do they have lots of energy? Are they eating well? Do they have normal poops and all of that stuff is like, no, they're just looking at the numbers and they're not looking at the whole animal. And if they keep looking, they'll probably find something that's a little out of the quote unquote normal ranges. And then they have something to treat and then your pet will get more toxic drugs. And then they just, they just get worse. I mean, conventional medicine really just sadly in, in a lot of cases just makes pets sicker and sicker and sicker. So if you can learn to manage some things at home, at least in the initial stages, obviously if your pets hurt or, you know, like the lady with the snake bite, obviously that dog needed to go in, but in true emergency care, yeah, conventional medicine's great because those dog, that dog needs fluids and steroids and all, and probably antibiotics. That was probably all very um, valid for that dog in that case. Cause we're treating like uh, probably anaphylactic shock from this snake bite venom. So you've got to do those things, but for long-term care or the, just, we don't know what's going on. Let's just throw some drugs at him and, you know, see if, see if something sticks. So, you know, sadly going to the doctor makes pets sicker a lot of times. Yeah. So here's our last question uh, for you. Um, I heard a vet say that rice is required for a dog with kidney issues because it lowers the phosphorus in the meat 
as a compromised kidney can't manage it. Uh, and they wanted to know, is this why rice is in all the prescription diets? <laughs> wow. What about, and not to mention that, you know, rice also is, is uh, laden with arsenic, but, you know, aside from that, it's great for the, you know, great for the kidneys, right? Um, no, it's in there because it's a cheap filler. It's not, it's not in there for any, there is no new nutritional need. And I think again, with the phosphorus, it, I think if it's a, if it's a well-balanced diet, I think anytime we start to micromanage a certain nutrient, like, especially like phosphorus that needs to be in proper ratios with calcium and other minerals, you start to micromanage that one nutrient, you're going to throw the other nutrient levels and this balance, the synergy between the nutrients, you're going to throw that way off. And what I do, if, if dogs have compromised kidney function. So say we've got kidney values going up, maybe they're drinking a little more water. Um, if their phosphorus is normal in their blood, I don't do anything. If it's elevated, then I might start to give a, a like a phosphate binder. So there's things you can give that actually help bind the phosphorus so they don't absorb as much of it. And this is, and that's only usually when the phosphorus actually starts going up in the blood that's getting kind of pretty end stage, you know, and, and that high up phosphorus can make them feel kind of crummy. So keeping the phosphorus down can help, but I don't do it preventatively. I see a lot of people that want to start cutting back on phosphorus um, because the kidney values are up a little bit. And, you know, if you have an older dog, those values are going to go up a little bit. The kidneys aren't going to be working as well at 15 as they did when the dog was two. But if they're otherwise acting okay. And again, you know, they're, they're eating and normal poops and maybe our B1 and creatinine are up a little bit, but if our phosphorus is normal, I don't change anything in the diet. I, I just, I keep them on the raw diet. I get some herbs that I'll add in, you know, for additional uh, kidney support, but I, I really, unless we're getting end stage and that phosphorus is really starting to go up and the dog's acting sick. It seems like at that point, when the, when the kidneys are failing to the point that the blood phosphorus is going up, those dogs are starting to feel pretty crummy, kind of mm, lethargic, maybe vomiting, little not eating well, the dark tarry stools, that, that kind of stuff. Then I might add in a phosphate binder, but binder, but before that point, I, I don't do anything. I don't, I just, I just don't worry about it. Well, and your bone, right? So bone is yeah. a great phosphorus right. binder. So there are a lot of people that you know, are afraid of bone. They don't want the bone in the diet. There's a reason that bones in the diet. Yeah. Also green leafy vegetables tend to help bind the phosphorus and move it out of the body as well. But we have seen uh, traditional healthcare say, all right, let's put this phosphorus binder in there way too early in the game, way too early in the game. Oh yeah. Because they need the phosphorus. Like I said, they need in the phosphorus and the calcium, magnesium, they all work together to build like healthy bones. And that's why having that well-balanced mineral. So if, you know, if people are not feeding, you know, a blend with ground bone for whatever reason, whether they don't like it or the dog doesn't like it or whatever reason that is going on, um, you know, I recommend the like the, uh, the better bones from four leaf Rover. Cause you're still getting that same component, the components of the bone just in a powder form. So it's a little easier to, to give as opposed to a, um, like a mineral supplement, which then you're just back into a bunch of synthetic 
nutrients. So why not just feed the natural bone? But I, I agree. I think that is, it's just super important to have that those, those minerals in that bioavailable form in the diet from the bones. So are we going to poo poo this one that rice <laughs> rice is required for a dog with kidney issues? I think it's a, tr- a troll must've written that. Oh, a troll. That's right. But now, as, Yeah. I, I would say eh, there's no yeah. requirement for carbohydrates in dogs. I don't think there is in people either. That's another you know subject, but I don't think there's ever a, a requirement. And the reason rice is added to so many foods is it's a cheap filler, rice and potato. They're just, they're cheap fillers. So they can stretch the product more um, and they can lower the price. So they have more competitive pricing. So people complain that, you know, products that don't have these fillers in are more expensive. Well, yeah, because there's no fillers. You're, you know, you're getting what you pay for. You know, you, you don't, you don't want to be feeding rice and yes, rice is toxic. There's a high arsenic level in top in rice. I wonder how Dr. Um, Paul Saladino, the carnivore MD, or as Brian calls him the shirtless wonder. Uh, <laughs> <I love Brian laughs> he, Cause he always walk, you know, does his videos with that shirt on. Cause he's built great. You know, he's, yeah. I guess nice. if you got it, why not flaunt it a little? There bit? you go. And uh, I would love to send him a question and say, what do you think about rice? What, what's your thought about rice, <laughs> Dr. Paul? I, I bet mean, that'd be a big thumbs down. Yeah, he'd be like, yeah, no, I don't think so. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. Remember, you can work with Dr. Judy Jasek right there from your home. All you have to do is go to ahavet.com, ahavet.com and get signed up today. Get your dog on a species appropriate diet. Uh, We've got all types of blends right here at Raw Dog Food and Company. We have the bones, we have one ingredient treats, and we have those supplements that Dr. Jacek is talking about, the better bones and jump for joints and uh, a lot of great stuff right here at Raw Dog Food and Company, where your pet's health is our business and we're friends. Don't let friends feed kibble. We'll see you next Wednesday, Dr. JC. Take care of those chicks. We will. All right. See you soon. Okay. Bye. Oh, snap. Find out how you can start your dog on the road to health and longevity. Go to rawdogfoodandcompany.com, where friends don't let friends feed kibble and where your pet's health is our business. Just snap.